Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. So, first three weeks of God at the Box Office, we were um, looking at movies that were inspired by true stories. This morning, we are not. Or are we? So today we, we leave uh, kind of our universe and we enter into what is known as the Marvel universe, or as I've learned in this movie, the Marvel universe. Now, I'm just curious, how many Marvel fans are here today? Can I just see your hands or may, maybe hear a roar out of you if you're a Marvel fan today? Well, that was a very, it was a groan actually, but we'll, we'll let it pass. So I think of all the movies I saw in 2019, this one surprised me. Uh, This particular movie was actually one of my favorite movies of 2019. In fact, it was probably one of my favorite Marvel movies that I've ever seen. And I think the reason why is because I I love the storyline in the movie that we're going to focus on today. It's actually a storyline that doesn't only have one plot, it has two plots that run concurrently throughout the movie. It has its main plot, and then it has a secondary or what's called a subplot that I think is equally significant. In fact, uh, though I'm not going to make it the focus of my talk this morning, I think the subplot deserves honorable mention by talking about it at least briefly. So I want to do that before we move to the main focus and the main theme that I want to talk about this morning in our movie. The movie today is called Captain Marvel. And in the movie, in the subplot of the movie, it actually involves a race of extraterrestrials known as Skrulls. Now, when you're first introduced to this race of extraterrestrials, what you think is you think they're the antagonists in the movie. So they strike you as the enemy that's out to do evil until you discover that the scrolls have actually been displaced from their homeland, from their own planet. Their planet was invaded by the Empire Kree and they were actually expelled from their homeland. So in the movie, when you're watching it, what you begin to think out, you begin to think the Kree are the good guys and the scrolls the bad guys. That's actually not the case. The scrolls are refugees. They're actually been displaced and now are trying to find their way in a foreign and often hostile world where they're under assault. They're also shapeshifters, interestingly enough, which means they can conform to whatever form of life that they are existing among. So they take the shape, they take the form, they they can take the identity of other things. And what you think at the beginning is they're doing that so that they can do violence, but that's not the case. They're doing it so that they can protect what is left of their kind. They're actually living to survive Another day. So their violence is not intended to do harm. It, it actually is a resorting to, at times, violence to protect what they really are trying to do, and that is preserve 
uh, their way of life and their people. So, so as I watched the movie, what I became struck by is that these are misunderstood people, creatures, who actually become outsiders. They're misunderstood, and so they're often mistreated, and they're often marginalized. They are refugees searching for their home. Where do they belong? And in some ways, it fits the main theme of the movie that we're going to focus on today. So I said this in the first week of God at the Box Office, that there's a topic I touched on that I said later in the series, I'm going to come back to this topic. And the topic that we're going to focus on today is the topic of identity. More specifically, it's, it's how we actually find the true sense of ourself, who we truly are. So in the main plot of the movie, it focuses on the protagonist. Her name is Carol Danvers. Now, for those of you that are in our congregation that are part of the Air Force, if you haven't seen this movie, you got to watch it. Because Danvers actually is an officer in the United States Air Force. She's a pilot. And she is a pilot that is, that is on an undisclosed mission with her uh, superior, her instructor, Dr. Wendy Lawson, who she does not know is a rogue Cree operative. And as she's in this mission, in this fighter jet, she is engaged and she is confronted and shot down by hostile fire. In the crash, Dr. Lawson does not survive, but she gives, uh, she gives Danvers one final thing to do, and that is to protect the energy source that the career after. So she is confronted by an assailant who prior to being accosted, she takes her weapon and she destroys the jet that she is flying in along with its energy source. And in the process, she absorbs the energy source in herself, giving her superhuman powers, but also causing her to lose her memory. She literally forgets who she is. She is then taken back to the Cree Empire, where she's given a new identity, and she's given a new name. In the blast, her identification tag was blown into pieces. But her assailant found one small piece of her tag next to her body, and it only contained the last four letters of her last name, Danvers, V-E-R-S. And so as she takes on this new identity, she's given a new name, Veers, is what they begin to call her. And throughout the movie, that is the name that Carol Danvers is known by. It's the name she knows herself by. So what you discover in Captain Marvel is it's really the journey of Danvers to rediscover who she really is, and in the process of rediscovering her true identity, she also is discovering the true source of her power, something in her she wasn't even aware she had. It's a fascinating movie. 
And actually, it reminds me of a story that we find in Scripture. It's a story that really is a microcosm of the entire overarching story of Scripture. Because in this story, you have Jerusalem and the people of Judah that are actually living and honoring and serving God until they are invaded by an enemy force called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come and overtake Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us they do something. They take young men from Judah back to Babylon. Instead of destroying everything, they want to keep some of the very precious treasures, things that have worth and value, including certain people that they can put to use for them. Daniel is the book where the story appears. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Then the king, the king of Babylon, ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. So here are these Jewish, God-fearing young men who now are being given a new identity. In fact, they're being trained in a new way. All of your education, we're going to forget about. In fact, we want you to forget about it. What we really want you to do is we want you to learn a new way to speak, a new language, and we want you to think differently. We want you to learn new literature, a new way to think, and a new way to speak. But they go one step further. Verses 6 and 7. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Now I'm wondering, how many of you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Let me see your hands, right? All of us do. But most of us have never heard what their God-given names were. Like we don't call them Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, right? We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those names were not their God-given names. It wasn't their identity. That was their Babylonian names that were given to them to actually change their identity into something that they were not. To convince them that they were someone they were not. To get them to live out of a false identity. In some ways, it's the story of Scripture from beginning to end, where there is a sense of losing our identity because of sin and a search to find their identity, which always will bring us to one place. It will always bring us back to God. In order for us to discover our true identity, it will always bring us back to God. Now, I love what Daniel does. One of the four mentioned here. Verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not 
defile himself. What Daniel does is Daniel actually makes a decision. And the decision is, I, my identity is not going to be determined by anyone else. My identity is going to be determined by God. Because God has given me my name. God has given me my identity. That is my source of understanding who I am. So the big idea today is really very simple. My identity is given me by God alone. Your identity is given you by God alone. So in the first scene of the movie we're going to watch this morning, Danvers is on the search to find out who she is. She ends up discovering that she has a best friend that was the last person she remembers being with in some of these recurring dreams that she keeps having. And so she's back in earth and she's going specifically now to Louisiana where her best friend and also a pilot, an officer in the United States Air Force who trained with her, Maria Rambo, lives. And she wants to connect with her story. Take a look at the scene. Excuse me, I'm looking for Maria Rambo. Auntie Carol? Mom, it's Auntie Carol. I knew it. Everyone said you were dead. But we knew they were lying. I'm not really who you think I am. Green transforming aliens? There's no such thing. You're absolutely right, young lady. There's no such thing. Because if there were, we would want to keep that to ourselves. You don't believe me? No way. That's so cool. Oh, she can do a lot more than make tea with those hands. Like what? Show us. Maybe later. I kept all your stuff. I'll go get it. You want to give her a hand with that? Hmm? You don't remember anything? I see flashes, little moments, but I can't tell what's real. If I could just piece together what happened that morning, maybe it'll all make sense. You woke me up, banging on my door at dawn. Your usual move. Back then, we had to get up so early. The Air Force still wasn't letting women fly combat, so testing Lawson's planes was our only shot at doing something that mattered. You wanted to race to base in your old Mustang? And I wasn't about to argue because I knew my Camaro would dominate, but you cheated, took a shortcut. Since when was a shortcut cheating? Since it violates the predetermined rules of engagement. I definitely don't remember those. Mm, of course you don't. 
When I got to the hangar, Lawson was agitated. She said she had lives to save. She was trying to take the aces up herself, but you said if that- If there were lives at stake, I would fly the plane. Yeah. Yep. Big hero moment. The kind of moment we've both been waiting for. The doc was always unique. That's why we liked her. But now you're saying she's from another planet. I know this must be hard for you. Oh, with this part right here? No. No. Mm -mm. And what's hard is losing my best friend in a mission so secret they act like it never even happened. Hard is knowing you were out there somewhere too damn stubborn to die. And now you come up in here after six years with your supercharged fire hands and you expect me to call you, I, I don't even know what, fears? Is that really who you are now? I don't know. I think Veers is being asked a question that we all ask ourselves from time to time, and that is, who are we really? You know, many of us are like Veers in the sense that we really don't know fully who we are. And one of the reasons we don't know who we are is because we do not know where we came from. I, I think to know our identity, we've got to go back to our point of origin. So let me ask you, what's your point of origin? Where, where does your life begin? There are some people that would say their life begins somewhere in their childhood when they came out of their family of origin and they actually began to identify with who they were. That, that was their beginning. There are others that would say life for them really begins when they took their first breath at birth. Pro-lifers would say that life begins maybe at the heartbeat, at about the eighth week of a child's formation. Or perhaps it is at our point of conception. That's where life begins. I think what the scripture teaches is that your and my point of origin precedes our family of origin. Did you know that? Did you know your, your, your point of origin is way before your conception? It is way before your heart began beating. It is way before you took your first breath. I have for the last six months been made fully more aware of this in my time with God as God has taken me back beyond my family of origin to my divine origin. I've been sitting in this reality of what Scripture teaches about who we are in our point of origin. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Now think about this. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. 
Jeremiah later in his prophecy in chapter 18 has a vision of a potter sitting at a wheel, shaping a shapeless lump of clay into a beautiful vessel. The vessel becomes marred. The the clay becomes marred in his hand, so he keeps reshaping it again into something that he has in mind. You see, the potter never sits at the wheel without a purpose and a finished product in mind. And Jeremiah is seeing this. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now watch it go back further. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together where? In the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Here's what these verses teach us. Before you were seen on an ultrasound, you were seen by God. Before your heart ever began to reverberate, you reverberated in the heart of God. Before a human hand ever touched you, the hand of God touched you. Before you ever took your first breath, God was already breathing his life through his imagination about who he was creating you to be. Now, Paul the Apostle actually summarizes all of this so beautifully in his epistle to the Ephesians. When he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4 and 5, he says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. God loved us. But he didn't just love us. God chose us. Now, that word in the English language loses its power. Because in the original language, what the word means, it comes from two Greek words that actually mean to speak and forth from or out of. Literally, what it means is that God spoke us forth. Paul here is taking our minds back to Genesis chapter 1, where it makes this unequivocal statement, God said there was. He's helping us see that there was a chosenness about us, And it means when you choose something, you're selecting it from other options. God chose us. He spoke us forth. We are part of the spoken word that God has made. But there's something even more significant here that, and I've read this passage so many times in my life, but I don't know if I've ever understood the significance of it. But look at the first few words of this. When did he love us, and when did he choose us? Even before he made the world. Just let that settle today. 
human existence precedes creation. Because it actually comes out of God's love for us and God's desire for us and God's knowledge of us even before the world was ever made. That has profound implications about your identity, about your point of origin. You see, your identity and who you are precedes your conception. And it precedes creation. It means that God actually was at work in forming you and designing you and has purpose for you long before you were ever given to your family of origin. Your divine origin precedes your family of origin. And for us to understand our identity, we've got to go back further than family of origin to see how God has been a part of seeing us, calling us, shaping us, and having purpose for us even before the world was created. Now, I know that's, that, that's a mind blower for us this morning. Like, to really understand this, this blows our mind but it is actually the summation of what Paul is giving us from the whole of Scripture that God's been involved in our lives long before we ever were. That's where identity begins. And to know your identity, you don't need to just know who you are. You need to know whose you are. If we're going to settle the identity question, we don't need to just know who we are. We actually need to know whose we are. Which brings us to a powerful second scene I want you to watch. Speaking of mind-blowing, Danvers, Veers is having her mind blown. She's beginning to understand that she had this powerful mission she was given and had a purpose that she could not even wrap her head around. She's coming to terms with all of her origin, where she's from, and trying to figure it all out, and she's confused. And in this scene, you're going to watch Talos, who is the leader of the scrolls. At first, again, he kind of strike you as this odd-looking alien, but remember, he's a refugee who's trying to protect his own kind. And what she discovers is there's something going on about him that she was not aware of. Take a look at the scene. He lied to me. Everything that I knew was a lie. Now, you understand. What? What do I understand now? Yonrog killed Marvell. He killed her. Because she found out that she was on the wrong side of an unjust war. No. Your people are terrorists. They kill innocents. I saw the ruins on Torfa. Ruins that the accusers are responsible for. My people lived as refugees on Torfa, homeless, ever since we resisted Cree rule and they destroyed our planet. And the handful of us that are left will be slaughtered next, unless you help me finish what Marvel started. The core that she found would have powered a light-speed ship capable of carrying us to safety, a new home, where the Kree can't reach us. 
Lawson always told us that our work at Pegasus wasn't to fight wars, but to end them. She wanted you to help us find the core. Well, I already destroyed it. No, you destroyed the engine. The core that powered it is in a remote location. If you help us decode those coordinates, we can find it. You'll use it to destroy us. We just want a home. You and I lost everything at the hands of the creek. Can't you see it now? You're not one of them. You don't know me. You have no idea who I am. I don't even know who I am. You are Carol Danvers. You are the woman on that black box risking her life to do the right thing. My best friend, who supported me as a mother and a pilot when no one else did. You were smart and funny. And you were the most powerful person I knew, way before you could shoot fire from your fists. You hear me? Do you hear me? Come here. Come here, girl. I got you. Before Carol Danvers could actually embrace her mission, her purpose, she had to begin to come to terms with who she was, really. And I... I think she's stating something that many of us state at different ways throughout our life, and that is, again, who am I, really? I think we actually ask that same question in different ways throughout our lifetime. I think it's a question we often come back to. It's such a core part of who we are. A very good friend of mine who actually wrote the curriculum for Equip Leadership Canada, an organization that I've had the privilege of doing some international leadership training with. He, he was a businessman, very successful in Edmonton, Canada, had his own business, sold his business at the age of 60, retired with a small fortune. Six months later, he is weeping, frustrated because he did not feel he even understood what his purpose was. He's despondent, beside himself, going, what is life really all about? And this is a guy who was raised as a Christian, as a Christ follower, who had been in church all of his life, who had served as a church leader, and yet he's at the age of 60 years old in a pool of tears, going, I don't even know who I am. That began a journey for him that took him way back, way back to a point of origin and way back to the fact that he had to come to terms not with who he was, but with whose he was. I think we ask that question throughout our life. Moses asked that question when God comes to him on the backside of a wilderness where he'd spent 40 years running from God. And here he is now, God coming to him, Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. God says, you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt, but Moses protested to God, who am 
I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Listen, until we come to terms with our true sense of self, with our true identity, we will actually settle for substitute identities that will keep us asking this question. And our substitute identities come usually in about four different ways. Here they are. I am what I do. There are many people who believe they are what they do. For years, people would say to me, what do you do? And I would say, I am a pastor. Those are not the same. And I've learned no longer to answer that question with, I am a pastor, because a pastor is what I do. It is not who I am. Or a second substitute identity. I am what I did. My successes, my accomplishments, or my failures, my shortcomings, my mistakes, my sins. I am what I did. Some people say I am what I have or what I own. And Jesus combats that with this statement when he says, your life does not consist of what you possess. What we own and what we have is not who we are. Or a final substitute is, I am what others say I am. We let other people define our identity, to label us. That can happen actually medically. It can happen uh, through people. It can happen through our family of origin. We can be labeled by other people that we are what other people say we are. But none of those things are identity. And here's what God says to Moses. Chapter 3, verses 13, 40. Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What God does here is God establishes a very important theological principle about his identity and the fact that Moses' identity was directly attached to God's identity. So when Moses says, who am I? God says, I am. You are not a substitute identity. Here's who you are. I am who I am says I am. You are who I am says you are. You are not what you do, what you did, what you have, or what other people say you are. You are who God says you are. And coming to terms with that is a powerful moment in all of our lives when we can finally accept who we are fully and live out our true identity, which is what happens in the final scene when Veers finally gets it. Take a look. You did good, Ace. Thanks to you, those insidious shapeshifters will threaten our borders no more. I used to believe your lies, but the scrolls are just fighting for a home. You're talking about destroying them because they won't submit to your rule. And neither will I. We found you. We embraced you as our own. You stole me from my home. 
my family, my friends. It's cute how hard you try. But remember, without us, Without us, you're only human. You're right. I'm only human. My name is Carol. Mm, I love that scene. My name is Carol. My name is Gilbert Allen Dukeman. I don't know if I've ever publicly said my full name. Many of you here don't know my full name. My name is derived from my two grandparents. My paternal grandfather, whose name was Gilbert. My maternal grandfather, whose name was Alan. All of my life I've had a disdain for my name. Recently, I was in a passage of Scripture, and God brought an awareness to me. It's pretty profound. My paternal grandfather, Gilbert, didn't know me. My maternal grandfather didn't want me. At the age of five, my mom's grandparents, after their divorce, my parents' divorce, told their daughter, my mother, to give us up for adoption. Here's the passage God spoke to me out of, Isaiah chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, notice it, he who formed you, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. I've always hated being called by name. And God said, I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. Though I was not known and though I was not wanted, God knew me and God wanted me. And God chose me. And what God is doing in my life, and he wants to do in all of our lives, is God wants us to know, too, that we do not need to fear our identity because we have been redeemed. That word could be reclaimed. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Through Jesus Christ, you have been restored back to who you are, your true identity. I am not named after my grandparents. God gave me my name. I am who God chose me to be. Through Christ, I am reclaimed to live out the life that God desires me to live with my identity being firmly rooted and squared in him and him alone. Nobody else gets to decide that. Only God gets to decide that. You and I have been redeemed. Why? Here's what God spoke to me. Because Gilbert Allen, you are precious. Gilbert Allen, you are honored. Gilbert Allen, I love you. And it was like a rebirth for me. I want you to know this morning, God wants you to understand who you are. You are not what you do. You are not what you did. You are not what you have. You are not what people say you are. You are who God knows you to be. You are who God chose you to be. You have been chosen by him from before the world was created. Just let that settle as we move into communion this morning. Nate, would you come in the team? Brothers, get ready to serve us. We're gonna expedite this this morning because of time. So here's what I'd like to say this morning. I want you just to sit in the reality of what God has said about you today. Maybe there's something that struck you like it did me in these last six months, but actually it's been a journey for years of me, going back to my family of origin. And even in this past year, going back more deeply into my family of origin, it's brought some things forward that God has been redeeming in my life. I don't want you, if anything else I could say this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. You belong to God. You are his. You are his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.